0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson and to the analysis and recap of stage 20 of this year's Tour de France, the individual time trial up La Planche-Belfie, probably the craziest Tour de France stage I've ever watched in my lifetime. I wasn't alive in, uh, what was it, 1989, Le uh, Mans, Le Mans stage. Uh, I'll age myself a little bit there, but yeah, an insane stage. I'll just recap for you. What the GC standings were going into the stage and what the profile looked like. So it was a thir- it was a thirty six point two k time trial, thirty point three kilometers of it was flat. Now in my video I made, I think I overestimated the amount of climbing. I'd I'd saw somewhere that there was five hundred and seventy meters of climbing in that first thirty k's, and it didn't seem like that was the case. They they went much quicker than I expected in the first thirty, and I think yeah that, that was. So it was flatter than we expected, maybe a little bit technical off the ramp. Then there was the 5.9-kilometre time trial at 8.5% up to La Planche de Belfi, which has been used in the Tour de France a number of times that climb. So flat, then climb. An interesting an interesting t- uh, TT profile. The GC before the stage started, as you know, was Primoz Roglic in first, 57 seconds ahead of Tadej Pogacar, the Slovenian. Miguel Angel Lopez, the the Colombian, 90 seconds back, then 90 seconds behind him. The Australian, Richie Port, three minutes behind Roglic. Then Landa, Mars, Yates, Uran, Dumala, Valverde. I won't read you out all their time gaps because it's not too important. The main ones are the Roglic to the 57-second gap. Remember that number in your brain. Then Lopez in third. He was 90 seconds, a minute 30, I think. Was it? Yeah, a minute 30 ahead of Richie Port. So remember those two time gaps.
1: As we expected, the faster riders to start off are the last ones in GC. That's how every time trial goes after the first stage, at least. And it was four riders of Lotto Sudel in the first five. Now, we didn't expect them to go all out, but we were thinking that they needed to be fast enough to prevent going out of time limit because Ewan and Bennett, for example, wanted to sprint tomorrow, of course, and Bennett wants to keep his green jersey. So our guess was that. It was going to be around 25% time limit, so about 15 minutes on the winner. Now, I can already tell you, that's all right. Every single rider made it to the finish on time, so that's great. Bennett is going to be viewable in the green jersey tomorrow. Caleb, you in a sprint, hopefully if he doesn't puncture before it. So I don't want to jinx it now, at least. (laughs) Anyway, we had the first best time with Rémi Cavagna of the Koenig Quick Step, one of the earliest riders to start off. He had less wind on the flat as reported, at least. I don't know the uh, on-location situation, but they're saying that there was less wind when he started compared to the latter riders who started hours later. And he started with a godlike first time. And I think he had about 56 minutes. Well, let me take a look here. He had a time of 57.54, which is, well, a great time because most of the riders at that point were above an hour. And I think there was one rider to or something that was also under an hour. So it was extremely close above the one hour margin. But from that point onwards, it was like three minutes to Cavagna. So he was clearly beating everybody, but let's be honest, it's the last time trial, the last GC stage. And most people don't care about GC nor the time trial that are starting this time trial. So they just want to survive within the time limit. And Cavagna clearly wanted to try and win this thing because he started off so majorly on the flat section and compared to the climbers that started later, he lost a tiny bit of time and even a lot of time to some climbers on the climb itself. So as you can expect from a Cavanya, nonetheless, I do want to say claps to him because I did not put him on my radar at all because I expected him to be derping around on the climb that he's about to lose a lot of time there, but he actually held it quite nicely compared to the wild fanatics of this world and so forth. So. In general, the next rider was Wout van Aert. Wout van Aert was expected to be one of the favorites here as well, together with his other two teammates of Jumbo, Wismar, Dumoulin, and Roglic. Now, van Aert put in a mediocre time on the flat. We saw him losing time to Cavagna, and Cavagna basically held the first time at the first intermediate for the whole race. Nobody ever passed him. So the first portion of the race, Cavagna did the best time of everyone. So he certainly used the flat to his advantage. While well, Fanat landed on like 59 seconds at the first time check, he came a bit closer on 33 seconds at the uh, second time check, and that is where the climb starts. And you can see from that point onwards that Fanat kept mashing the pedals and he came closer and closer to the finish and just gained more time. And midway the climb, he had six seconds on Cavanias, so was first at that point. And towards the end of the climb, he put straight-up minute into him, if I remember correctly, of 48 seconds, something like that but Wout Aert was on the hot seat at that moment, so Jumbo-Visma in the clear at that moment. We had Dumoulin on the road, the GC guys were about to move, Pogacar, Roglic, and we also had the fights for top 10. So, for example, Caruso versus Valverde, Lopez versus Sport, and every single one of those was a fierce battle, and let's go to Valverde-Caruso first. I expect the Caruso to jump over Valverde, and Valverde bottled it. I think Valverde dropped to 12th position in GC, even Guillaume Martin did a better time trial than Valverde. That's so not normal. So I'm guessing that Volverde either bottled it so hard or he didn't really care too much because he lost so much time today that it's unbelievable that Volverde spent all his energy here. I think he's saving it for the World Champs, which is his main goal of this first part of the season. So Valverde on 12th in GC after this stage, Guillaume Martin on 11th and Damiano Caruso on 10th. I'll give it to you to talk about what happened to Lopez and Ford because that was a battle you eyed quite nicely.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too surprised by Valverde dropping out like that. I think, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of top 10s in the Tour before and in Grand Tours. I'm sure, yeah, Movistar, they want the team's classification, but I think World Champs is where his heart's really set, so that doesn't surprise me too much. Just a reminder on the bike changes, that dynamic, by the way. Um, ewan changed his bike so even guys who weren't obviously trying to win the stage but guys who were trying to not finish outside the time limit ewan changed his bike he was one of the only ones we saw they didn't televise the bike changes pretty well because we'd see riders on their tt bikes and then we'd see them coming over the crest of the line like 30 minutes later on a road bike so obviously they changed bike at some point but we couldn't figure out where they changed it exactly it seemed to me like they were doing it like 300 meters into the climb, 400 metres into the climb, but I can't be sure because yeah, there wasn't it wasn't really consistently shown except for the GC guys. Um, Ewan changed, Love Van Art changed his bike. Um, I think at the base of the climb, or maybe 5.3, 5.4ks to go on the climb. There are a lot of spectators on the climb, so that actually made it difficult to do the time change. Um but yeah, um I still think. Kavanagh cost himself a fair bit of time not changing his bike, and I'm not sure whether what the rationale for it was. He said that he thought he would he would lose 40 seconds. He would lose 40 seconds if he changed his bike, which literally makes no sense. Like, how could you lose 40 seconds changing your TT bike to your road bike? Bora Hansgrohe got the same TT bikes, the Shiv, the Specialized Shiv, and they were changing their bikes. And I think Bora are a pretty smart team, so I um. Yeah, I think Cavanias maybe cost himself. He probably would have come fourth, I think, if he actually changed his bike. Although the bigger guys who are used to being on their TT bike, probably less important. We saw that with uh, Tom Dumana later. But Richie Port against Miguel Angel Lopez. Yesterday, Benji and I we had a little mild disagreement about Miguel Angel Lopez. Benji threw some facts at me, which I didn't like. About Miguel Angel Lopez doing doing well at the start of this year, I w- I'd gone full Australian uh, patriot mode, which I don't actually do too often. To my in my defence, um, I try to be pretty objective about the riders. But something about Richie Port, I think you can give me some give me some slack with. Everyone wants to I think cheer for Richie Port doing well in a Grand Tour after the career he's had, and this he said being his last shot as a GC leader because he's going to what was it Ineos next year or something. But yeah. He rolled off, he was looking thick, tight, focused, just locked in and ready to go on that trek. Is it a speed concept? I don't really know. And often uh, you can actually tell how riders are going to do in the TT almost off the ramp into the first corner. You can just pick apart already like little mistakes that some of the riders will make, like you'll see Quintana or like Quintana move like across the road. And like I'm not I'm not criticizing Quintana here. Like he's he's obviously injured, etc. But I'm just as an example of not a great time trialist. Um yeah, you just see some of the mistakes in the position he's in, whereas Port is like immediately into TT position, even between corners where some riders maybe wouldn't bother to get down is that position. He's took the apex, I think, close to manhole cover on the first corner. He pedaled through the first corner. So just things like that. And you don't see that. It's hard to build up that in your mind because in a TT they're chopping and changing between riders all the time and you, and you don't see them for a long sequence through a series of corners, unfortunately. Uh, often we'll have Pinot cam instead. and But there's a, also a series of roundabouts. And if you look at the way art and Richie Port hit those roundabouts, compare them to how Thibaut Pinot did in those roundabouts, then, yeah, you can see like – yeah, you can just see how P- Port – and Juan Van Aert were able to stay in TT position for the entirety of that of that sort of chicane. And they maintained their cadence, so they didn't come off the gas at all. So, And then whereas Pino is like coming out of position and, yeah, it's just not a good time for him. Sort of not a great time trial. And Miguel Angel Lopez was the same, although we, we barely saw Lopez, I think, in the TT. I mean, Port was going well. And I think the first time we were like, holy shit, Paul's going quick, was he was like, what, Benji, 45 seconds behind Cavagnar in the first time check? And Cavagnar smoked that, right? Like, Cavagnar was, I think, set the quickest time for that uh, that period of the road. So Port only being 45 seconds behind, and you know that he's going to be smashing Cavanier on the t- on the climb. I was like, that is good news. And then Lopez rolled through. I don't know when Port passed him, Benji, but when Lopez did he? Had Port already passed him? I or think Who started he first? Had already, because well, oh, Port started first. Port
1: started first, so he didn't pass him, okay. but he was clearly riding away like crazy because we saw Lopez have honestly his worst time trial of his whole career today. He bottled it so hard, and if I have to spoil the results of that already, he dropped from third to sixth. Landa passed him in the time trial. Mikel Landa, passed him at the t- who wrote a good time trial, by the way. I did not expect that at all. Like, we gave a top 10 yesterday. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It's so different. I should have kept my word with my initial Tour de France prediction, okay? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Enric Moss, I expected him to pass Landa, but he also had a pretty mediocre time trial. He came closer, but Landa, honestly, really good time trial by Landa. I did not expect it and the one thing that bothered me is at that moment we still had Wout Fanard and Lopez on the road uh, and Dumoulin on the road who were technically fighting for the stage win because we didn't know about Roglic we didn't know about Pogacar and we did, hadn't really gotten to Port on the climb yet and they didn't really cover them too much Dumoulin and Wout Aert, until they noticed that they might actually end up being a factor in this and then suddenly in the last two kilometers we had cameras on them but I felt that was a bit mad by the TV coverage. Just want to point that out there. But genuinely, I agree. I fucked up yesterday by saying Lopez would beat Bored, But yeah, I guess I, I got it wrong there. Nonetheless, we've got other fights in that top 10 as well. Tom Dumoulin, we've spoken about it. The man that I did not expect to do a bike change because he's stubborn like that. And he would never do that on a climbing time trial. And I don't think he's ever done it on a climbing time trial actually switch his bike and he didn't Tom Dumoulin did not switch his bike you're probably against it but with Dumoulin I've got that extra factor that I'd give him the benefit of the doubt and additionally I don't know how this comes into play but we've got the fact that there are three jumbo riders on the road at the same time do they have enough cars I don't think
0: logistically they could do it I don't think they could do it logistically I think Watt wanted the the bike change Roglic definitely did and Tom was like well I probably don't even want one anyway, so who cares? Yeah, you know we we don't have enough cars or bikes or whatever, so yeah, that was I'm sure that factored into it. Um, I don't, but yeah, as you say, he probably I didn't think he changed it in Bergen, and I think it was still a mis- like quote unquote a mistake not to change his bike. Like I'm sure he feels better on the TT bike. I know Tom Dumla is a better time trialist and knows more about time trialing than I do. I know that. But uh, he was not going very quick up that climb and I think was losing time on that climb. So it, it didn't matter in the end. Of course, it didn't made no difference. It, it would have made a difference maybe if he was up there on GC, but he wasn't really. But I still think for someone like him, it was less important to change bike. We said this. So I said this in the pod yesterday or in my video. I can't remember because he's because he's a good time travelist, because he's a bigger guy, he – is actually able to get in TT position. He was rock solid in that TT position on like 12 percent gradients, spinning it. So whereas Lopez and Co. They they can't do that. So at least Dumoulin is getting the most aero benefit out of being in the bike in the TT bike. But still, yeah, I think a bike change would is still optimal. Um, but yeah, he probably just he probably just doesn't want to do it psychologically. So how do you factor in the psychological, you know, thing of him? It may be freaking him out or throwing him off, but you're mid time trial; having that being on his mind the whole time. Like, I guess you have to factor that in because it's the reality. So, yeah, do you? Is that something you you expected to know, not to change his bike, right, Benji?
1: Well, I I was still thinking that he would like a few days ago, but yesterday I was in a voice chat with two Dutch people that were clearly of the opinion that he would never do such a vile thing. And <laughs> they changed my mind. So uh, this morning I was like, he's probably not going to change it. So it wasn't my fault that he wasn't going to change it. Credit to those Dutch people that told me, and they were right. So congratulations, those two. Now, Dumoulin, he, he did one hell of a time trial. I'm glad he's back to a form where we can see that. And he had a time trial on which he did a time actually equal to port in the end. So they both did a great time trial today. Port potentially being the better surprise of everybody, together with another person we'll talk about in a second. Because I, yeah, Port's time trial is outrageously good for what I expected him to do. Maybe that's just me, but I, I expected a good time trial, like a good level. But this is out of proportion for Port for me, and I like that. I genuinely like that. So congratulations, Richie. Plenty of years on which he was close. He was fucked by a crash. And now he's there. He is there on the podium of the Tour de France after all those years. Just on the moment where he says he's going to become a super at house. <laughs> all
0: right, Benji. You. <laughs> you can go and get a coffee, get a glass of water. I'll be five minutes because I'm about to go off about Richie Poe <laughs> right now. Richie Port, the Tasmanian. He's how old is he? He's thirty-five fucking years old. He's, <laughs> people said he spent the best part of his career helping Chris Froome as a domestic. Well, he hasn't. And I told you, and people laughed at me. He's on the best level of his career, and you know how we know that because when the two Slovenians were driving at seven point two watts per kilo up those climbs, who wasn't that far behind him then? Who was attacking the Slovenians on whatever stage it was, stage 15, stage 13? I can't remember. They All the mountain stages meld into my mind now. Richie Porte was attacking them, trying to gain time on Lopez. Lopez, who did an incredible effort on the Cole de la Lolo stage. So, yeah, Richie Porte's at an incredible level. So if he's not getting dropped by very much on the full gas climbs that were 10 to 12 minutes long, this whole Tour de France, no one was really able to gap him. Like, and, and hold the gap to him, even on of Pedersud, who was the man trying to bridge back to uh, the Pugatra attack initially, or to Roglic. It was Richie Port. So if he's able to climb like that right now, and he's probably, like, think about it. he He came into his career as a time trialist. Go and look at his results in 2008. Look him up. He's a good time trialist, and he hasn't lost that, and he's good at pacing. Trek got a pretty good outfit, I think. And, yeah, so he obviously put in maybe a career-best performance ever. He put 10 seconds into Wout van Aert, which is just an insane performance from Richie Port. But given the profile where maybe he, yeah, he lost a fair bit of time on the flat, but not too much. He still was aero doing good watts on the flat and then just monstered the climb. I'm I'm not sure his negative split would have been as big as, say, uh, you know, on Rick Mars or someone. And they yeah, really high level performance on the climb. So should Richie go and be a super domestique next year? No way he should be. When I spoke to Michael Matthews uh, off, well off the record, but it was being recorded, so it was on the record. Um, you know he was saying, yeah, Richie's looking really good back in Milan-San Ramos. like Richie's doing like 500 watts for I don't know how long, a long time. I can't remember. Um, maybe he wouldn't want me to say so. He's in the form of his career. He got through Stage 9. He hasn't had a crash. Yeah, he had the crosswind issues. Um, Probably that's to be expected. He had the gravel puncture. He had no real climbing domestiques to help him either. Like, Kenny Alessand was there but not there really, but neither did Pogacar either. So third for Richie Port coming third in this Grand Tour, is just an unbelievable performance. I'm so excited for him. The guy trains so hard. He gets a lot of criticism as just being a guy that, like, all he does is pee for Pforzheim, etc. But he's an incredible bike rider. And look at his palmares: you know, two GC Parneys, two GC Tour de Nanda, GC Tour de Romandie GC Tour de Swiss, five stages Parney,es and also two second on GC at Dauphiné, as well as now third in the Tour de France. So, yeah, I think Richie Port needs to not be a domestique next year because if he can maintain this level, he can win a Grand Tour. Because this was. An incredibly high-level grand tour. But, yeah, have you come back from your your coffee, Benji, sorry, that's going to be difficult to edit with all my, uh, my shouting with the, the voice peaks. But we'll keep it rolling now. Miguel Angel Lopez losing six minutes. So we said yesterday there is a chance he could completely capitulate. That happened. Losing six minutes is a complete capitulation. But now for the reason why you're probably listening to this podcast the GC battle between Taddy Pogacar and Primoz Roglic. What did we say was going to happen yesterday, Benji? Because we're so smart.
1: Uh, we were so intelligent that we said that uh, it was never going to happen that Pogacar was going to pass Roglic, or extremely unlikely, is what we said. Because on paper, Roglic is a very consistent time trialist compared to Pogacar, who is, well, he's good, we've seen it, but he was never on the level of Roglic's consistency. But holy crap, we were wrong. (laughs) And I'm glad to be right. Uh, I'm glad to be wrong because some people might remember a good 20 days ago, we had a a TDF preview. And I remember saying that Pogacar would win the Tour de France.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. So. We saw initially, so Wout van Aert, right? Wout van Aert did a massive negative split, it looked like, with his power. So he, he just reserved it, then smashed the climb, and that's how he put the time into, uh, into Remy Cavania. So going through the first time check, Roglic looked to be 12 seconds down on... Now, the graphics are really, really difficult to follow, to be honest, but it did look like Roglic was 12 seconds down pretty early in the TT. Bogacic came out of the ramp smashing it he was taking all the risks obviously going through the corners full gas we knew he had to go full the entire TT and then yeah 12 seconds down really early but I thought hey I said to everyone don't worry don't worry calm down Roglic is doing what Wout Van Aert did he's just doing a big negative split and Pogaccia is going to obviously he'll fade a bit and he won't do such a good time on the climb because he's going so hard on the flat and um, well that sort of didn't happen. Like. Roglic maintained the gap on the flat it went out to about 30 seconds so before the climb it looked to me like Pogaccia had only had put about 25 to 35 seconds into Roglic the times were changing quite a lot it was really difficult to see but Roglic didn't look good and I know that's like 20 the most 2020 hindsight thing to ever say but I'm sure I've got to make the ITV video, obviously, and I'm going to have to look at the footage in detail about what went wrong for Roglic. But you were saying, Benji, quite a lot um, in when you're DMing me, you're like, "Something's wrong with his helmet," and and what was that? Like, what what was wrong with his helmet? Because it just didn't look right. Yeah, the thing about the helmet is that, well, Laser Sport tweeted
1: to La Flambouche this morning that Roglic was going to wear for the first time ever a new laser helmet, and it really didn't fit his head because it was wobbling left and right. So I don't get how a team that focuses so hard on marginal gains like Ineos and Sky in for, in the form of Jumbo lets their yellow jersey rider wear a brand new helmet for the first time in the most in, important time trial of his life. I can't wrap my head around it. It's such a weird thing to do. It's like riding for the first time on a new bike. I know the difference is huge compared to a bike and a helmet, but even the smallest details count in cycling. And yeah, he afterwards he said, yeah, it's not the bike. It's not the helmet. It's the legs. But these small details, I, I can't wrap my head around it. How can you just do that to a
0: new rider? I, I don't get it. Just for the laser sponsorship. It's sad. I mean, it might it might just be marketing. Maybe he's worn it before. If that is true, and it, it, I mean, it could be true because it literally didn't look like it fit his head. It was kind of off and like sitting really high on his head. Maybe that was intentional, but it looked wrong. Um, but yeah, if that is true, that's crazy. Another thing on the equipment part of it is apparently he's wearing the Tour de France skin suit. So Rollit had to wear the Tour de France like skin suit that they manufacture or something, and did Pogacar get to wear his own skin suit? I don't know. We'll get to that maybe afterwards. We don't know enough about that to really comment. But I'm pretty sure Roglic didn't get to wear his own skin suit, which I think is kind of bullshit to have to not be able to wear your own equipment that you can test in the tunnel on the off-season in the Tour de France time trial. But moving on to the climb anyway, they obviously both did a, a bike change. They didn't do it right at the base. I think they did it like 300, 400 meters into the climb, sort of like the other riders. Pogacar's bike change was like 7 out of 10. It's pretty good. Was no, like, it wasn't a complete, it wasn't that bad. I think what under, people were saying 15 seconds. It didn't look like a 15-second cost to me, Benji. It looked like 8 to 10 seconds at most, that bike change. Um, Roglic did another bike change as well. He's looked panicked, if that's, like, fair to say, in that everyone involved was kind of panicked. The mechanic or whoever was getting out of the car to get the bike, was like thrashing about with it. I think uh, whoever was the DS got out of the car as well, like getting sort of in the way. Roglic looked a bit like frazzled as well, um, which I think will make sense when we talk about what happens in a second. I don't know the exact time gaps going into the base to climb, but I think – well, do you know the time gaps, Benji? I think it was maybe 40 seconds or 30 seconds because yeah, I can see that Something like that at yeah. that point, you're right. About 40 seconds, 45 seconds, maybe. And I was thinking, okay, okay, this is not good for Roglic, right? It's not good, obviously, to be going into the bottom of the climb pretty much with Pogaccio like five seconds behind you on virtual GC. I think he was like 10 to eight seconds behind him on virtual GC. That's not ideal at the base because Roglic, you're the one that's supposed to have gained time on Pogaccio on the, the flat section because you're a better time trialist, right? You're more aer- aerodynamic, et cetera is the better sort of, I would say, yeah, he is a better climber than Roglic. And then just Pogaccia just fucking destroyed the climb. (laughs) That's all there is to say, really. Um, Roglic looked like, like, what did you see from Roglic, Benji? Like, did you, when did you know? When did you know for sure it was done? I knew for sure when it was done, when the
1: timing was on the screen, because let's be honest, at, at the start of the climb, I was seeing the time go up so fast the time difference between the two that i was thinking the gps was off because in like 10 seconds it went from being 10 seconds ahead of roglic in gc to suddenly was 30 seconds ahead and i was so absolutely confused because maybe it would have been a gps issue and i definitely had to wait until the time check to be sure that this is true because that GPS went so fast at certain points. I was like, "This has to be wrong at some point." But Roglic pedaling in his small gear or a high gear, technically, or small gear. English, please. Is it small or high <laughs> if you pedal fast?
0: <laughs> I thought he was pedaling with a pretty low cadence. Actually, he lacked he lacked fluid any fluidity. He just didn't look like the Roglic you expect to see. He looked like frazzled. His helmet was all askew. Yeah, he was like all over the bike as well. He just didn't look good compared to what we've seen in previous stages. Even in the Col de la Low stage when he gapped rog- uh, Pagacha, he, he looked good at the end of that stage. Even when they've just done an hour of climbing full gas, and he looked cooked a third of the way into the climb. And that gap, as Benji said, it was moving so quickly. And then it went to parity. So, so the, the graphics, helpfully or unhelpfully, I actually mean, they were initially showing time gaps on the TT between the two GC leaders, and then they moved to changing to virtual GC between the two GC leaders with no legend or, or information actually telling you what they were showing. But it it was actually the GC position on the climb they were showing. And like halfway through the climb, Pogaccio was already ahead of Roglic on GC. He'd made up 57 seconds on Roglic already into the climb, which – there's two things to this. So obviously, yeah, Pogacar rides away. He then wins the stage. He destroys Tom Dumoulin's time. He puts a minute 21 into Dumoulin and Richie Port. Roglic comes 35 seconds behind Dumoulin and a minute and 56 behind Pogacar. I'd actually stopped watching. That was about 2Ks about to go and just sort of went and walked outside for a bit <laughs> because I was too rattled. Roglic... Losing the yellow jersey by 59 seconds to Tane Pagaccia on the Planche de Belfi TT. A, an absolutely brutal way to lose yellow. And I'll throw some numbers at you first, Benji, and see if they surprise you. These are from VeloFax Twitter with the help of Um Look them up on Twitter there. You've got to follow these two. I follow about 15 people on Twitter, and these two uh, accounts are one of uh, two of them. On the climb, Tadej Pogacar first, so he also takes the King of the Mountains jersey off Carapaz, who didn't set that good a time on the climb. 16 minutes 10 for Pogacar. VAM 18.63 and sort of rough estimation of watts per kilo, 6.5. That's after a 40-minute TT or 38-minute TT. Primoz Roglic, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11th, 11th best time on the climb five seconds behind Warren Bargui, seven seconds behind Marc Soler, and a minute and 21 seconds behind Tadej Pogacar on the climb. A minute and 21, only doing six watts per kilo on the climb. That is, so there's two things that have happened here, right? Oh, by the way, Richie Port, that man who thinks he's going to be a super domestique next year, second best on the climb, 22 seconds behind Pogacar. 1821 VAM, 6.36 watts per kilo. So shout out to Velifax and the Metro Pirelli for those those rough numbers so soon after the climb. But yeah, what what are those numbers? Which of those surprise you more, Benji?
1: Well, the watts per kilo is kind of insane. Like I said it before, I'm not 100% into all these calculations yet. I'm trying to learn it along the way while you are teaching me the ways of the... Of the math in cycling, and this is one hell of an ascension. Even just comparing it to the others that (laughs) did it today, it's it's genuinely great. It's one hell of a performance, and yeah.
0: (laughs) it's I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna ask it a different way because people are gonna I'm gonna ask you a different way because people are gonna make are gonna ask it, and we have to. It's a difficult question, and you know I'll ask it directly. Did Roglic choke this? he's 5 seconds after Warren buggy on the climb he's supposed to be the favourite. he was the favorite he was the two he was the odds on $2 favorite for this TT at yeah. some point this today and he's 5 seconds after Warren buggy on the climb is that mm-hmm. is that a choke or what's happened there
1: that is a choke. you can't you can't name it anything else like he's not up there you've got Mark Soler climbing fast the landa carapaz martinez carapaz you can expect a tiny bit Daniel Felipe Martinez, Bilbao, Henrik Maas, Van Aert, and obviously Pogacar. It's, It's not a terrible climb, but it's a choke from the likes of Roglic because Roglic should be able to do better and definitely with the performances he's done already. So it's basically exactly the same thing as a 2018 Tour de France, unfortunately for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's really rough to say, and we're not trying to be overly harsh on Roglic, but we also have to say what it is and what the numbers say. And he finished, he did the climb five seconds quicker than Omar Omar Frey and the Astana rider. And unless you're a hardcore fan, which I know 95, 99% of you are, but some of you might not even know who that is. So, yeah, it is... It is a 2018 sort of replica when he lost that much time to Froome And it, it actually looks, Benji, it looks to me like Roglic did almost a better performance on the flat or actually I think it, maybe their plan was to negative split it, right? And he just couldn't lift for the for the climb. Maybe they were just trying to do what Walfanath did and he just, you know, six watts per kilo for 1731 on a road bike too, that's not that's not good numbers. And for while Van to be doing higher watts per kilo like that on the climb is crazy. So, yeah, unfortunately, it just seems to have happened again. And I think I'm not sure if you said it in the preview, Benji. I think you might have. But I think you said ages ago, I mean, we, we've been speaking about the Tour de France for hours and hours and hours. So I'm sure someone might correct us. But I think you might have said or I might have said Roglic isn't actually an elite time trialist. Like he shouldn't be spoken about. Alongside Grant Thomas, Tom Dumoulin.
1: Wow, um, I wouldn't put Thomas up there
0: either. Grant <laughs> Thomas, I, I think Roglic is hands down a better
1: time trialist than Thomas, even on Grant Thomas. TTs, yeah, I uh, uh, yeah. On a flat TT, yeah, I I, I I dare to say it. I want to see that happen. Right. If it's not on the twentieth stage of a Grand Tour, where he's in yellow at least.
0: All right, we'll park that one. But I think we. <laughs> <laughs> I will park that one for for the Giro d'Italia preview because um, we've got other stuff to talk about. But, yeah, I, I don't think – we didn't maybe think he was up there with at least Dumoulin and yeah. uh, and, and the big boys in the time trial, certainly not Walfanar. And now, obviously, Tadej Pogacar has to be listed in that sort of group as well because uh, he did a quick time on the flat too. So, yeah, it's – I don't know. We were speechless. But when you look at the numbers – it kind of makes sense. Like, obviously, that's not to take away from Tadej Pogacar, by the way. So don't take what we're saying, saying Robich underperformed, which I think the numbers prove that that is true. Pogacar still had to go out and put two minutes onto him. And if Pogacar just, what was it, if he just put like uh, 10 seconds into Tom Dumoulin, he still doesn't win the Tour de France. And if Tadej Pogacar went out and won this stage by 10 seconds ahead of Tom Dumoulin, then we'd be saying that is an insane level of performance. You've left it all on the road, and you can't ask anything more than that. But he's going to put a minute 21 into Port and Dumoulin. And you know, I've spent a lot of this podcast saying how Richie Port is the second coming of Jesus, Jesus Christ. But maybe Tom Dumoulin, he looked good today, but is he is he at peak level? Like, Would I still expect Dumoulin to set the same time as Port on this climb if Dumoulin was like peak 2018? No, I don't. Or 2017, no. I think Dumoulin would be going a fair bit quicker than Richie Port. Uh, Do I think, you know, 90 seconds behind Pagaccia? That seems reasonable. So, yeah, it's just an unbelievable performance from Taddy Pagaccia. He paced it really well. Being able to, he was smashing up the client. And I'd encourage you all to watch the stage in full. Just. Go and watch Pagacha like even as he crests the final little pinch going into the last 50 metres, 75 metres, you can see him shifting up to still sprint out of the saddle, gaining as much time as possible to the line. And and Roglic looked done. And I think you could see – I think I haven't looked at really any interviews afterwards. I've seen one quote that he said, I just didn't have it today, which meant he meant I didn't have the power. And he's obviously just been empty for the TT. So – I'm not going to speculate on why that happened because it could be so many different things as to why he didn't have a good TT today, things that we wouldn't even have any exposure to. You know, maybe before these TTs, he can't sleep and before a mountain stage, he sleeps like a baby and that affects it. Maybe his warm-up protocol doesn't suit him, whatever. Maybe it's the skin suit he was forced to wear. Maybe it's the helmet that didn't fit his head. Maybe he's just tired as well. Uh, we don't know, but one thing is for sure: Tadej Pogacar is now in yellow, and he's going to win the Tour de France, or is he Benji? Or is yeah. he going to win the
1: Tour? <laughs> no, France? no, 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 no! He's not going to ride away. Roglic is not going to solo away on the Champs Elysees. I can tell you that already. Yeah, yeah. Roglic has respect for his uh, for his fellow Slovenian. That is one thing I'm very sure about, and he's not going
0: to break that unwritten rule. And nah, the fuck thing is that. if I'm if I'm Yumbo Visma, <laughs> I put Tony Martin on the front, I get Wap Banat to split it and I make him I'm being serious. I'm being serious. This is Tour de France. There's no gifts. There's money on the line. Fifty nine okay. We we fucked up by not respecting you enough in the first twenty stages. Let's see stage twenty-one. We've got the strongest team. We'll make it a team time trial because we didn't get one from ASO this year, and we would have put you know a minute into you there. We'll make a team time trial on the Champs Elysees laps, and we'll make UAE chase, and we'll pay we'll pay of Sudal and De Kernick not to, not to chase. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, I've been talking to- I've been talking a lot, Benji. I'll let you. So you don't, you think there's zero chance they do that?
1: There, there is zero chance they do that, and. I basically think that if it's going to rain today, they'd already neutralize the race anyway for GC. So the last stage on the Tour de France is that stage where you celebrate, he's going to go to the back, he's going to drink his champagne, and at that moment you would be launching the attack with your team. So (laughs) no, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. It would be funny to see, but it would be a bit disrespectful, I'd say. Although, let's be honest, I'm also of your opinion that a race is a race, but I think the Champs-Élysées is still something tiny bit different. If this is in stage 17, where the yellow jersey falls behind because of a crash, I'd be the guy that has no respect for it and rides away. (laughs) Let's be honest, it's a race. But in the end, Champs-Élysées is different for me. And the thing is, this man, Pogachar, he is 21. And let's not remember, his birthday is the day after the Tour de France. (laughs) What a birthday gift. After the, uh, after the race today, he, he said he couldn't believe it. It was like a dream because it was already a dream to be able to start the Tour de France for him this year. <laughs> Imagine what a dream this is for him. And what I always find less entertaining then is that I am unsure what his future lies because he's won the Tour de France, the biggest goal for a GC rider in cycling. What do you go for? The Giro de Vuelta, that's all under it in the Palmares section. So you're basically in a situation where you have to try and win the Tour de France multiple years. And I'm Belgian. I'm a serious... Well, I'm not a serious fan of Evenepul in that sense. I'm just supporting him because he's Belgian and I saw him as the future. And in the Vuelta, that already changed a bit when Pogacar won two stages and showed himself on the podium of the Vuelta. And this year... We said that Van Aert was the best cyclist in the world, that Evenepoel was the best cyclist in the world at certain points. In Polonia, we said something like that, or would become the best cyclist in the world. I think that Wout Van Aert is still up there, definitely after his performance once again today, because that was still an amazing time trial, just beaten by better ones out there at the moment in these time trial, mountain time trials at least. But the thing is, Pogacar is up there for me. And he was already up there as the one of the riders that would fight in Grand Tours in the future, in the next couple of years, against a Bernal, against an Evenepoel, if he comes to that level. Because I support Evenepoel as a Belgian, but we, we still need to see it in a Grand Tour. Because it's easy to say he's going to win Grand Tours in the future without actually seeing it, because that's pressure you put on a rider. And I don't want to be that guy that says, you're going to win the Tour de France next year no, no, no. I, I want to be the guy that supports someone at their own pace, and Pogatra has one hell of a pace in that, because, yet yeah, of Vuelta, now the Tour de France. Remember that UAE said that he wasn't even leader here. Fabio Aru was their leader in this Tour de France. <laughs> That's the worst part yeah. of it all.
0: Yeah, well, I always thought that was a joke. Um, I mean, I've got videos doing analyzing Tadej Pogacar, etc. We saw in the early tune-up races in Spain what level he is. I've said I don't know publicly or not, but uh, yeah, I always thought he's going to win more races or probably stage races than Egan Bernal just because he's got a better time trial, better attacking rider. Um, that looks to certainly be the case, but we don't need to do prognostications about their future, etc. on the Stage 20 wrap-up pod. Uh, we can save that for maybe the Tour de France proper recap. We'll obviously be doing a full Tour de France recap podcast. I haven't told Benji that yet, but I've just told him that now. Obviously, the biggest... Historical comparison to this is the 1989 Tour de France with the Le Mans-Fignon time trial, where I think, what was it, Fignon lost like uh, 50 seconds or something, 58 seconds to Le Mans. I know that Le Mans won the Tour de France by eight seconds. Yeah, it was 58 seconds Fignon beat, uh, lost to Le Mans by the TT. So I think that was one of the closest ever GCs in the Tour de France, and Le Mans won it by eight seconds. This is, I think honestly, this is more dramatic. And I, I, was, I wasn't I born yet in 89, so I can't really say it was more dramatic. But to me, it feels more dramatic. My sense of the reactions around the traps is is shock. Honestly, it's I was speechless. I did a live stream and I just cut it short at 15 minutes because I was just gibbering like an idiot. I didn't know what to say. And a lot of people were just like, what just happened? Whereas the Le Mans Fignon one, it was kind of It was always, it was possible that could happen. There weren't, yeah, there wasn't that big a gap. But to win by, like, Pagaccia hasn't even won by a second. It wasn't even close. As I said, I stopped watching with like fifteen hundred meters to go because it was done. He he won by nearly a minute on GC to Roglic. So now, what I want to talk to you about, Benji, uh, before we before we preview stage twenty-one, which is the Champs Elysees sprint stage. Before we preview that. Do we need to – is there anything Jumbo Visma should have done differently in this year's Tour de France? Or do they do everything perfectly? Because I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, what they're doing this. It's a master strike from them, Jumbo Visma, in this year's Tour. Or I'm pretty sure there are a few things we picked up on along the way where – and I remember saying, do you really want to be the strongest team by a fair margin and go to, go to stage 20 with a, with a slender lead? And I got, I'm, not, I'm not a genius. By slender lead, I meant like 30 seconds, right? 30, 40 seconds. I thought 57 was like, uh, I did think that was pretty safe. I did say that maybe Roglic was like a $1.06 to win the tour before this stage started. Like that's that's crazy low odds, right? $1, $1.06, as I said, that's like 90, oh, 93%, 95% probability. But where... Is there, are there any moments where you think Jumbo-Visma went wrong in this year's Tour of Benji?
1: Well, you could say that they lost a lot of opportunities because they played it very defensively in stages where they were clearly able to do more. And because of that, you've got situations where we are now thinking, well, they should have taken more time there and taken more time there. But I don't think they would have been able to take an extra minute with Roglic. So they would have had to... Use more tactical ideas, which we often said. I think you said it more than me, to be honest. So, credits to you in the sense that Dumoulin should have attacked at certain points to try and make it a bit of a team game because they have more power in the mountains. They could send people up there and take minutes because the others don't have teams to catch it. So, I feel like they could have done so much more tactically, but it's easy to say it like this in hindsight for us because, let's be real, before the time trial, we thought Roglic was going to win. Before this time trial, Jumbo thought Roglic was going to win. They were in the prime position to win this Tour de France, but it's almost impossible to guess that your leader is going to collapse like that on the final time trial. Now, you would probably say that the same probably happened to Froome once in a while, I think 2013, 2015, where he lost time on Albuquerque twice or something. I recall something like that. And he had enough of a gap before that. To make sure that he could lose that time. And today, Roglic did not have enough time, but he had a minute. On paper, he should have been able to protect that. But to be honest, Pogacar's performance was out there. And it is not something that Roglic expected, nor anyone in the world, I think, except for Pogacar himself, maybe. I don't know. I uh, have an, a friend in Slovenia, and he's actually friends with Pogacar. He writes for Adria Mobile, Jiga Horvat. And this man told me. Months ago, Ogachar is going to win the Tour de France. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll put a bet on him. <laughs> so I want to thank him first. So I'll send you a crate or something. But next to that, just additionally, the fact that he said that because he thought that Ogacha was a better time trialist than Roglic. And I didn't believe him at the time. I'm not going to lie. And I thought that that was not the case, even though it might've been like that. And he had the point that, Pogacar had the KOM on the time trial that Roglic became national champion on last year. And that was a flat of goals. But I haven't seen like the details of that and the proof of that. So I was like, meh, I'm not sure that's true. But yeah, I got to listen to that but- man more in the future.
0: Well, people in Slovenia were annoyed with me when I put up that Slovenia national champs uh, bike change video because they felt like... I wasn't giving enough credit to Begaccia as a time trialist in straight up beating Roglic. Um, And I didn't, by the way, I didn't say he only won because of the bike change. I thought the bike change still was pivotal in him winning, given that he won by nine seconds. But I think they were saying, listen, this guy is a serious time trialist. He's not just a climber. And he's on Roglic's level in the time trial. And, yeah, people in Slovenia who are in the know seem to already know that. But I'll put it a different way. And this is the way I want to frame it. If before today's stage you said to win the Tour de France, all Roglic has to do is beat Richie Porte by 20 seconds in the time trial, we would have said that's, that's doable, that's to be expected. So there's going to be, I'll just, I'll just forewarn everybody, there's going to be a lot of talking from people about Pagatch's performance and how out there it is. But I just want, like all the other climbs in this year's tour, you need a benchmark against who he's competing against, and he put a minute twenty into, into Richie Port, and they are only gapping Richie Port, you know, by not very much on the climbs as well, and yeah, I believe in Richie Port, and I expected Roglic to be able to put twenty seconds ahead of Richie Port, so yeah, it seems like Roglic kind of having a bad day, etc., which is a shame. I, I really do feel bad for Roglic. jumbo Visma, yes, there were some tactical things, etc., but they couldn't have predicted this would happen. Well, they couldn't, they couldn't. Like there's always that stage 20. Everyone's gonna say now, oh stage twenty eight, you know, in the twenty eighteen Tour de France, the exact same thing happened. How could you not see this coming? But like that's a long time ago. And apparently people were say, oh well he had a he had a few injury issues or something wrong there. And so maybe they shouldn't have known. Maybe they should have known. I'll, I'll I will say I think if this time trial was in stage seven or stage five, I think Jumbo-Visma win the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, not necessarily with Primoz Roglic either, but I think they win the Tour de France if it was on stage <laughs> five or arc. seven. Yeah, with with Wout <laughs> van um, But just it's it's so difficult, and you've got to just i've said this before in the last week or so if you feel good in the tour or a grand tour if you feel good and your opponent is weak even if you're in yellow you must attack him and you must try and put as much time into him as possible if there is a time trial coming up because you do not know what will happen in the time trial you could wake up that day and you don't feel as good that day and you got one hour with your tour on the line and so when you so when when the sun is shining, the time you know it's the time to make hay, and there are opportunities for younger Vizma to do that. We'll probably in the in the full recap we'll prepare better and really pick them out. Perisud obviously jumps out. If Jumbo Vizma had a crystal ball and they saw Bagatza's performance today, do you think they just let uh, they don't make Roglic close that gap to And Answer no. But anyway, that's. Any last thoughts on this time trial, Benji? One for the ages. I'm trying to make sure that we do a good job on this podcast. I mean, we, we try and do a good job on everyone, but this is I feel like this is a really important podcast for us, just because this is a really important moment in Tour de France history, the 21-year-old Tour de France winner, back-to-back years with young winners and the most the most incredible upset, you know, someone who was like a twenty-to-one underdog just doing it in the time trial, Tatto Pogacar. and yeah, as you said, what what next for his future? But yeah, any last thoughts on this TT, Benji, before we go to stage 21?
1: Honestly, it's an absolute shocker, but I'm happy to have surprises like this, genuinely. And I will so brag so hard with, I'm going to flex with the prediction that Pogachar was going to win the Tour de France because I said it somewhat <laughs> as a bold move because after the Dauphiné, he didn't look too good, let's be honest. But the first week started great. Stage eight, stage nine, I was, whoa, okay, he's on board. And he looked to be the second, well, the the best climber at that point, to be honest. In the second week, kept that, called La Loz, I was like, oh shit, nah, this is not good because Roglic is climbing better, Lopez is flying over this, and my boy Poggi is not there. So I was starting to doubt him. And before the stamp trial yesterday, I had given up hopes for it. I genuinely had it, given up hopes for it. And to see this happen and to see that well come true, I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy. And it might. F- Next to that, I'm also kind of sad for Oglitch because this is like the second time at this point. So it must suck a lot for that guy. So I'm happy for Pogacar, but I'm also a bit disappointed for Oglitch in his place. I hope that he can put this behind him mentally because this can't be easy for Roglic because yeah, you're so close to it and to lose it on a stage that you were destined to do good, which is the most important factor here is just mad. I think it's going to help him a lot that it's someone that he knows as a friend that wins it because Pogacar and Roglic are friends, but I do think Roglic is not going to sleep that well in the next couple of weeks.
0: I've got to be honest with how I feel emotionally about this. Uh, As a man who doesn't have any emotions, I do feel more sad than happy because I feel like, and I know I I am happy for Pugaccio winning the Tour, but, like, I expected Pugaccio to win the Tour de France at some point in his career. I expect him to win multiple Grand Tours and and many, many races. He's a, a generational talent, and I didn't necessarily think that would be the case for Roglic, and he's just... Yeah, he's got the 2018 Demons at the time trial. He's got the Giro 2019 Demons. He won the Vuelta, but it was a, you know, a, sort of a few issues happened there. He's got the strongest team by far. They've gone all in. They've not let Wout van Aert go for stages because he's protecting Roglic certain stages. I mean, he still won a couple, so like he did get some license to go for them. But, you know, you got... Tony Martin pinning Roglic's number on his jersey before today's ITT, like big-name riders supporting Tom Dumoulin, maybe incorrectly, but he still did it sacrificing his own GC ambitions for Roglic on Stage 9, a Giro winner, and, yeah, it's just going to be tough for him psychologically. So I feel really bad for Roglic, Um I'm not gonna. I, I like to do clickbait thumbnails. You got oh, they're not clickbait. But I like to do some pretty sensationalist thumbnails, etc. I'm not going to do anything like Roglic collapsing in the tour. I think that sort of stuff is really. That's just tough because he's he's had 19 stages where he's looked really good, and he's had one bad day, and he still did six watts per kilo for 16 minutes. And if he was in the wheel with maybe coos marking. So that's the thing you don't see, right? When when he's got Coos there and they're going up a, a climb which is below 10% gradient, maybe 7%, and they've been riding a pretty hard stage, Pagacha can't attack even at 6.3 because Coos can bridge that and Rollich can sit on 6, which is having a bad day like he had today, and they wouldn't really lose that much time. So the, the time trial is the ultimate teller of, of people's uh, true ability. You saw that today, but yeah, I feel really bad for Primoz Roglic, and I hope he, I hope he, he's, I hope he's got a pretty good support network around him. I assume he does, and uh, I was really heartened to see his teammates, Wild and Martin and Co, and Dumela, patting him on the back afterwards. Um, that Yumbo Visma documentary, I hope they release it. They're filming one for this year's tour. That will be incredible to see. But yeah, t- yeah, that will be crazy. They should put that on Netflix. Uh, I'll pay. I'll pay infinite money to see it um, because his reaction in the bus after this will be unbelievable. But, yep, tomorrow's stage, stage 21, obviously finishing in Champs-Élysées, the formality stage, 121 kilometres long. They do they actually do a Category 4, but there's not enough points on offer for Pogaccia to lose the KOM jersey. Then they do seven laps of the uh, Champs-Élysées, whatever little circuit they do around Paris, and then obviously the sprint near the uh, near the Eiffel Tower. Iconic stage, one for the sprinters. Whoever wins on the Champs-Élysées, I always say, is the best sprinter in the world, and I'm picking my boy, Caleb Ewan, and there's nothing you can do about it, Benji.
1: Homeboy. Ah, it's hard to say it. I'd like to go for Wout Venard, but <laughs> I don't think Pick he's going to sleep well tonight. Man up. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Wout Venard going to win on the Champs-Élysées. Okay, Australia v.
0: <laughs> Australia, Belgium, just like this podcast – Um, we're obviously getting much more, less professional as the pod, as the, as the tour goes on, (laughs) but yeah, we're basically just picking our hometown heroes. Now my rationale for that is, well, Caleb won last year. He's just had his, dragged his ass around the mountains for a week, which he absolutely despised and was, yeah, he hated. He's doing that for a reason and that is to win tomorrow. And yeah, I think he's the quickest man. He's the quickest man in the tour and I think he's going to win tomorrow. So Richie Port had a good day today. He's got still his main lead-out men there, Kluger and Frizon and Co, so and yes for the boys. Art, I got to be honest, is the man I'm most scared of Benji too. So I'm I don't think it's a ridiculous pick your pick at all. Um I would be scared of Wild Art, too, I think Yumbo Visma they should go full for him tomorrow. They should do full lead-out for for Wild Art properly and we'll see what that looks like with Martin and shit. Who else can they actually do to do a lead-out? Um Robich, oh, Grendel no? Janssen. Yeah, Grendel Janssen and Roglic, even maybe. Yeah. So that'll be good to see. Bennett's obviously should be up there. And yeah, I don't, unless there's an intermediate sprint, can Sagan win the green jersey? I don't think he can. So I think I think Bennett's pretty much won the green jersey because he made the time cut today. Um, I don't think it's even possible for Sagan to win it anymore. But. Bennett's obviously a favourite for the sprint tomorrow as well. And maybe even case bowl. Sometimes you see your weird winner on the champs say I can't remember. Did Todd Hushaw win on Champs one year? Um, but yeah, that's my pick, Ewan. Benji's pick as well, Vina. We don't know what the odds are. I probably won't be betting. I've I've had my had my feel of betting for the tour, uh, unless there's something ridiculous that I see. But yeah, that's tomorrow. Um, I hope you we hope you enjoyed this podcast. We're doing this pretty much straight after the stage, so a little bit raw. Uh, rough and ready with the pod just because we're so shook. I'm sure you are too. Make sure you comment on YouTube or, you know, on YouTube what you thought of the stage. Is there anything we missed? Or hit us up with the hashtag LRCP. I know we've got to get to your tweets. There's a fair few that we've lined up for the – got them for the Twitter France recap uh, podcast. So we've got them all lined up. Don't worry, we save them. Uh, So hit us up on Twitter there or on the YouTube, YouTube as well. We probably respond really quickly to the YouTube comments give us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcast Play. We're nearly, get us to 200. That'd be insane. If we got to 200 reviews or just, yeah, the ratings, you don't even need to write anything on Apple Podcasts before the (laughs) tour finishes. If you've enjoyed these tour podcasts, then Benji will be able to twist my arm for me to do this all again for the Giro d'Italia every night because I was losing a bit of energy, but today has completely revitalized me because the tour came back today, baby. It was a little bit boring in the mountains, but, Today's time trial was some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen. But yeah, any any last thoughts from you Benji? Uh anything crazy that might happen on Champs-Élysées tomorrow, Vinnikov or uh Cancellara? Sort of effort or nah?
1: I don't think we have people that might do that. I think the people that could do that are in Quick-Step, which is a potential Osgen or Cavagna, and I don't see them do that because Bennett will want to win on the Champs-Élysées in the green jersey. Yeah, it's going to be uh special to see Pogacar in yellow tomorrow morning because I didn't see this one coming and I think most of you didn't but subverting expectations that what's that's what cycling does to us and for me this is what makes cycling worth watching things that you do not expect and out of nowhere you are surprised by something sometimes it sucks sometimes it doesn't sometimes it's amazing and yeah i enjoyed today's stage a lot and I hope that even Roglic fans can see the beauty in this.
0: That's all, guys. Ciao.